This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Henrietta Lovell, also known as the Rare Tea Lady. Henrietta sources amazing tea from places like Sri Lanka, Malawi, and Nepal. She sells to some of the world's best restaurants. But with 70% of her client base shut down, she's looking for new paths to profit, for her own business, and for the sake of supporting her farmers who live in some of the poorest places on earth. Listen in now to hear how Henrietta plans to keep them paid while keeping her own rare tea company afloat. We're back Monday with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Henrietta. Hello, good afternoon. How's it going in London? Um, it's strange and um, worrying times, but also rather wonderful. It's lots of splendid people doing amazing things for each other. Yeah, well, we do um, work with people around the world, but not just restaurants, hotels, bars, cafes, but farmers. We're a direct trade business. So I usually at this time of year in the springtime would be visiting all our farms and we work with them to buy harvests. It's not about brokers and buying a bit of tea. You know, we want, oh, I need a bit of our grey tea. I'll just buy a couple of kilos from the broker. Um, we buy from a farm directly and farms, tea farms like vineyards have harvests and they need that harvest bought up front. So we're going into a very um, extraordinary time where we have um, a harvest to buy and farmers who rely on us in very, very vulnerable places, you know, people who have a lot less than we do. And Where live. are we talking? Where do you usually go? Well, this the East Africa in Tabalawe, one of the poorest nations in the world. They produce some extraordinarily good tea. Um, Nepal, India, um, Sri Lanka, into um, across Asia and, and into Africa. And some of these communities, some of them are very prosperous. Um, if you grow tea in Japan, you can get a very great price for it. The same is true in China. If you get great tea, there's a real value for it. But um, some nations, uh, the tea is for us, uh, British, Americans, and we don't always value our tea. We're sometimes a little hoodwinked by an industrial tea bag. We're quite happy to turn a blind eye about where it comes from and um, how it might be exploiting communities to get it cheap. So trying to make a different way of um, of buying tea by dying direct and buying only the best and selling it value and that's generally to the hospitality industry because they care about great ingredients and valuable sourcing and the communities behind where they buy things so we've had restaurants and hotels and bars buying our tea and now they're all closed and you sell to places like Noma and St. John and Mr. Lion and Momofuku yeah yeah, across across the globe. So we would sell to um, the edition in Shanghai. We sell tea in China. Um, we sell um, to restaurants in um, across America and across Europe and Scandinavia. And really, a global business, buying and selling globally. But our majority, the lion's share of our business was uh, supplying those host town restaurants. And now we've got to quickly think on our feet so that we can get that harvest bought and out with a, you know, cash flow issues and um, supply and demand. So percentage-wise, what part of your business is the hospitality industry? Uh, over 70%. Wow. Okay. And then you, are, are you still planning on buying the harvests as you would? 
Some of them we have to make commitments and those farms really, really rely on us. Where we haven't had to, where the farms are in better state, we've been able to cut back on some of the uh, and some of the uh, of what we've ordered. In China, for instance, they have a strong domestic market and, as I said, a value harvest. So people will pay and bid for the tea to try and get the best tea at the best price. Whereas in yeah, in on a commodity market as it is in Africa and India, the big guys are usually manipulating to get the price as low as possible. And there we've really got commitments to make sure we're buying their value crops so that they can survive into the future. How much tea are we talking about? How much tea is bought from from these suppliers, from these farmers? Well, for us, we're in a tiny tea company. So we're talking about a few, uh, in some places, a few hundred kilos and some a few tons, uh, thousands of kilos. But I mean, that's a tiny drop in the ocean um, when you consider the, the global tea industry. But the global tea industry is generally not buying a value crop. It's buying commodity. It's buying the cheapest thing it can. And that's made by machine and very little jobs, little skill, little labor, low, no value into the communities. So when you started to hear all these restaurants were closing because of coronavirus, and I think all your restaurants are closed right now, all yes. of them. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There, is, there are two in Hong Kong open. Oh, amazing. Thank you, Berlin and um, Shane Osborne. Mm, I like Berlin <laughs> a lot. What did you do when you, when you started seeing you know, the dominoes starting to topple? Well, we're really, really lucky to have other routes to market. So we do have an online business. And we do have some retail. We sell a small amount of retail. And it's um, it's been interesting to see how quickly we can change that round. It's challenging. I feel like I'm right at the beginning. I started Red Tea in 2004, and I sold loose-leaf, high-quality, high-value tea in a world that didn't have a market for that. And everyone said I was a fucking idiot. They were like, what are you doing? Everyone drinks tea in tea bags. They don't want what you've got. And um, I did a lot of banging on doors and being persistent, very persistent, not letting go, trying to find any um, any little tiny chink in someone's armor or crack in a door to try and get through. And I've been had the luxury over the last you know t- decade to let go of some of that pushiness. And people are coming to come to me and said, "Oh, can we have your tea?" And I've been sitting back, feeling super smart with my. Oh, I've got this wonderful business, and now it's back to. Please, 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 can you, can you talk about um, what we're doing here? Can you buy some tea, please? So it's 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 it. It feels like starting a whole new business all over again, after sixteen, nearly seventeen years. Wow. So you're doing a lot of direct to consumer marketing now. I've noticed you've ramped up your your Instagram content. There's a little bit of Henrietta in my feed every day telling me something I didn't know about tea, um, which, I, which I like. I'm learning. It's good. Oh, thank you. And it's so it's um, it's that personal appeal to people. I, I can't sit back and think, OK, look, people will get this. People will understand eventually. You know, after 16 years, I've seen the change in restaurants and hotels. When I first went into restaurants, people would say, I promise you, they would say, we don't sell tea. We sell coffee. Nobody in a drinks rest, restaurant tea. And that was true 16 years ago. If you think back to going into a restaurant, there may have been a box of industrial tea bags on top of the coffee machine. And if you were stupid enough to ask for, you know, coffee, they might begrudgingly, or tea, sorry, they might begrudgingly bake you one. But it was kind of rare. And you would definitely get something worse than you could have at home. And 
I would say to the restaurateurs, to the chefs and to the uh, front of house, listen, if you sold instant coffee, you wouldn't sell much coffee. If you sell terrible tea, you're not going to sell much tea. And that change gradually happened. People were like, got it and went, oh, you're right. And chefs championed. And now when you go to a restaurant in New York City, they have a tea program. And I like to think that I have some part in that. So I know that change is possible. And I know that we can um, be the uh, harbingers of change. Harbingers, is that the right word? Angels, let's say, of change. Um, but it's, it's, I can't be so, so laissez-faire about it. I mean, 16 years, what was I doing sitting on my ass, making the change so slow? Now I look at these harvests and these farmers who are so vulnerable, and I think, shit, I've got to step it up really quickly, not just for my business, but for these guys. So you're, you're protecting other economic ecosystems, other people's well-being, other people's livelihoods. You feel responsible. Yeah, I, I really do. If you, I'm not trying to um, to plug my book here. Well, maybe a bit. Plug. But I just uh, recently I did a books. book. Um, it's called um, Infused Inventions and Tea. And it's a terrific I, book. Oh, thanks, my love. I try to talk about those communities um, and those people, connecting people to who makes tea and why it's valuable. Because I do feel a real responsibility. And I think if you or any of your listeners were to go to a tea garden in, in East Africa or in India and see the terrible poverty that people live in, which is so change, so possible to change just by consumer choices, just by buying something a bit better and knowing where it comes from. They would feel that responsibility too. And my urgency is to try and connect the two up because I know that there are amazing consumers. We're all great consumers out there and we do care if we just know about it. How have you gone about communicating with these suppliers? They're in far off corners of, of the world. I don't know what kind of news they're consuming. I don't know what they know about what's going on, what their level of fear is, is like. What's your communication like with them? What are they saying to you? What are you saying to them? Well, I think um, I'm trying to put a positive note into all of this. I do, I will find routes to market and it will be okay. And I think through this, we will find a new value market. I think people are starting to be a lot more considerate. They have time to consider where things come from. And I really believe that out of this extraordinary time, we can shape a better world. So I try to give them hope. On a practical level, we talk on WhatsApp, which is amazing. Um, there are, you know, um, even video conferencing and um, where Wi-Fi is possible, we can we can talk over the phone, which is really lovely, and see each other. Um, there have been some closures in infrastructure. Um, harvests are coming in most of the parts of the world. It's just whether we'll get it to market or not. So those challenges of just logistical challenges are keeping us busy. And um, I think there is a large worry in places where there isn't a great medical infrastructure like Malawi has about 600 doctors in the whole country. Yeah, so, um, and they have compromised immune systems because of the AIDS epidemic. So it could be really, really devastating when it hits there. So just trying to, again, that urgency to move rapidly to make sure that we can purchase harvest so there's money for medicines and what medical assistance they can have and food, you know, people that people aren't hungry. That they are. the, the communities that we do work with, we're not able to look after every community and change everything quickly but we do have that very real connection with the farms we do work with and the, and the tea buyer is important 
God. It isn't nothing, but no, it is it's, possible. It's, it's very deep. But it really is possible. I don't feel um, that this is an insurmountable problem because I know that there are all these people out there who are now at home um, who are really thinking about every penny they spend and whether it's going to be every cent, I should say, and whether it's going to be a useful one. And those, what did you used to spend on a takeaway coffee? What did you used to spend on a gin and tonic, a cocktail, a pint? What would you now spend on a beautiful tin of tea that would give you weeks of pleasure? And does it really seem so expensive now in comparison with you know, the amount you used to spend on your takeaway coffees? I think especially when you know the story of where the tea comes from and, and what it's doing. And, and as you say, it may also affect the way people are able to take care of their health through these times. Yeah. Um, and their families. and yeah, Which is not necessarily something people might think about during times when the majority of the world is, is, is healthy. Yeah. And it's funny talking about that is what, um, what, what the, what the value to you individually is of buying good tea. You're not, you're supporting communities outside your own, but also inside your own house, inside your own body, you're getting amazing flavor from a tea that's crafted for value instead of buying industrial machine. And I often make the comparison with an instant coffee and a beautiful ground coffee bean. Or, um, you know, a frozen hamburger and uh, a steak. You know, when you have something that's crafted from the beginning, from the planting, from the husbandry of the soil, the sustainability of the farming practice and the look and the final crafting of the leaf, you're going to get an incredible difference in flavor. And there's no chemicals in this. You know, you're not getting... One thing I really hope people will, will get by watching my videos is that the tea bag is not without its um, its chemicals. You know, what if you try and turn a, tea, uh, a tree into paper, that doesn't happen by magic. There, you know, there are all sorts of bleaches and glues and chemicals that go into the processing of the tree, which is another unsustainable use of, of, of wood just to make a single-use tea bag or, um, or plastics to make the posh ones that call silken or corn, which could be used for food. And then you've got, so you're using up unsustainable resources or using up resources unsustainably and then putting a whole lot of chemicals into your body. And you just have to brew the tea bag without the tea in it to taste and to know all that stuff that's going in you. So I'm hoping that people will only not only change habits for their, for their other communities, but also for themselves. How is the direct-to-consumer sales part of this going right now? Have you have you seen a jump? I, I do think yes, it this is, is the really good yeah. news bit, Howie. It's, it's a really... remarkable time for tea. People need tea. Yeah, people are sitting at home, and we said before they're not going out for their takeaway coffee. They are considering every sip. You know, it's different when you're in a rush in the morning and you just like, oh, quick tea bag. Especially in Britain, they might take a tea bag, they put it in the, so they wash out of bed, put a tea bag in the bottom of the cup, pour boiling water on it, put some milk in, gulp it down, run out the door. But when you're um, sitting at your desk in isolation and you have time to brew your tea really carefully, to take your lovely loose leaves and enjoy that moment and what a flood of pleasure it gives you, I think that's that is having a huge impact on the way people consume their tea 
And then again, having the time to source it and to go online and think, oh, I won't just pick up the cheapest box in the supermarket. I probably won't go to the supermarket. I'll go online and I'll go to a specialist who, who has the best and hopefully the best ethics. Are you seeing a lot of differentiation in terms of what people are buying right now? Is, is that changing? Yeah, that's funny because about uh, a year ago, I started experimenting with um, what I call well-being rather than wellness because I have a problem with the whole word wellness and I'm still not sure even about well-being. But blends that we're going to have some um, hopefully benign, wonderful effects on the body as well as flavor because I been trying all these teas that were out on the market called you know wellness teas like detox and pick me up and all that and they were just so foul I thought these are disgusting I can't drink these why should people be suffering to try and make themselves better and so I've tried to to, to blend something absolutely delicious because I knew there was the people were drinking them I kept on getting asked for two things one was please can you make me a sleepy time tea and please can you make me a uh, a hangover cure and I've been working on the hangover cure for a long time because I know that's my duty to humanity. Because <laughs> we all need it, don't we? Every time you wake up having had a few too many, every single time you're like, why isn't there a bomb to cure me? Well, I do anyway. And so I put together some things that really help um, the body um, rehydrate and hopefully expel toxins. Um, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a snake oil. I've chopped snake oil salesman I've done my best to, be, to find things that I believe um, will be beneficial rather than you know a panacea and um, I've done them for, for for being calm and you know for sleep and for and for pick me up and for detoxing just some some herbs that have been used for a long time for thousands of years to hopefully aid those things and to taste delicious and that was the bit I think that a balm is also delicious or should be and that's a huge effect of beauty and taste in our lives and making us feel better and anyway I did those I we we just released them about three or four months ago just in time and people have been buying those quite heavily and I'm glad that at least they are delicious whether they work or not they will flood your life with pleasure as I keep saying they will make you taste make your life better and also people have been buying um a lot of green teas and white teas I mean they've always sold a lot of uh black tea um, a lot of because we do these beautiful handcrafted black teas that you don't need to put milk in or that are you know super nuanced and complex but people have always have bought more black tea both in in Europe and America than they did green and now we're seeing the sort of almost Asian pickup in green tea I'm finding lately I'm very dependent on caffeine but lately the last couple of weeks, I have so much adrenaline that even a little bit of caffeine just puts me over over the edge. So I'm now veering into a much more herbal, non-caffeinated territory because it's still important to have something hot and settling and comforting. And delicious. Yeah, you're right. It's funny. I, I have to concur with you. I am not drinking caffeinated teas, um, the Camellia sinensis. Um, after, after midday now, I love, I need my tea in the morning and I I. But I do find that anxiety also um, is a problem. So, yes, what you call herbs. Now, how you say uh, Herbert for me? Herbert. And Henrietta. Henrietta. And hello. Hello. And now say Herb. Herb. It does sound, it's hard for you, isn't it? Even though it seems, <laughs> it's the Frenchy for Luton where you say Herb. Thank, thank you for a lesson in the Queen. So I appreciate it. 
but we, we, we <laughs> I do, I have been sourcing herbs around the world for a long time. Like they're just as delicious and amazing. They don't have all the um, uh, amino acids and beautiful things that are in tea, but they have their own wonderful properties. And it's really interesting. People often think, oh, well, just chamomile is chamomile or lemon verbena is lemon verbena. That's like saying tea is tea. You know, it depends on the pH of the soil, how how it drains from field to field, how much sun stays in the morning on one particular field as to how long it stays in the afternoon. You know, the vagaries of terroir are just as important for tea as they are for wine and for herbs. We have um, lemon verbenas from uh, from Mexico, from uh, from France, from and from Malawi, and they are completely different completely different i mean almost like you could not believe the same as planting a pinot noir grape in um, lombardy as in new zealand i don't think i've ever had anything from malawi in my life so i think that is going to change as of today and i will be ordering um whatever you've got oh my god to try the what if while it's still there we have a, there's a small harvest every year of antlers which are um uh, the little growing tip of the shoot and the, and the actual bud of the tea is taken off and it's the little tender stem underneath. And it's a white tea from one particular field um, in on the Sistemwe estate in Cholo Mountains in, in Malawi. And it, there's only about, uh, I think we did 30 kilos, 20 or 30 kilos last year, but it tastes so much of that place. It tastes nothing else in the world I've ever tasted in all my 20 years of traveling around tea tastes like that one field. That's the real excitement of terroir. But then pretty much you could do that for any tea. But that one was so extraordinary. It tastes like apricots. That's amazing. Any um, health properties that you believe or that they believe? Um, No, but there are um, if you one thing. So tea has been used as a medicine for thousands of years to the Chinese considered it. You know, far too special to share with us. You know, we didn't, they didn't, um, no tea came out with um, Marco Polo. It wasn't until the 16th century that we were allowed tea by the Chinese empire. And that was because they wanted gold and silver rather than as a trade. They needed to trade something. But in Africa, rooibos, which is not a tea, but it's a, it's a herb, it's a, it's a legume, part of the legume family, has been used for thousands of years for rehydration. So if you do have anybody um, who is feeling dehydrated or you're yourself, it, it, is, it has been used and it does seem to have very good properties for rehydration, but it does need a little bit of salt and sugar um, to help with the electrolyte absorb, absorb, uh, absorption. So if you're a little bit of maple syrup, a tiny flake of sea salt and a rooibos, it's pretty good. It's also a pretty good hangover cure. That sounds pretty good. You're really uh, diving deep into the science of the hangovers, huh? <laughs> I am, I am, I am. Well, that one thing I know is that coffee is is a little bit too aggressive for me when I um when I've had yeah. But then it's not to say that I don't think coffee is a wonderful drink. And people do often ask me that. So, you know, do you drink coffee? Yeah, I do. I just, but I. Will you tell me about the rare charity and and what you guys are doing to um help in this time? Yes. So um, I started um I founded Rare Charity a few years ago because I felt we weren't achieving enough in terms of sustainability in, in tea farms because there's sustainability means three different pillars. Um, you've got obviously environmental sustainability and I only work with farms that don't use pesticides and herbicides and have a sustainable farming practice way beyond um, organic certification because that's going to guarantee the future of these farms. 
you know, the soil stays healthy and the community stays healthy. Then there's uh, economic sustainability, and that's something that I believe in very strongly, direct trade, buying and buying for value and buying um, to support farmers rather than support a commodity market so that they can have an economic future. And then there's social uh, sustainability, and that's you know, sustaining the wider community so that we can have um, a sustainable future in a, in a holistic way. And we weren't attacking or handling that very well. That social sustainability we're doing through third party, through, and we used to work with fair trade. And we were finding that 80% of the income that we were raising for fair trade was going to the organization itself rather than to the farmers. So we thought we need to do that in a direct way too. So Rare Tea gives a percentage of revenue to a new body called Rare Charity, which supports tertiary education on the farms. So hopefully to support real sustainable social change, it's education. That's what all the people on all the farms we work with said, that they would like their children to have a better life. And they thought that was most achievable through better educational opportunities. So we now support 19 full-time university scholars, and that's a full scholarship food, clothes, books, everything, travel. Um, unfortunately, their schools are closed right now, but we're still giving them um, a bursary. And, um, and some secondary schools. We're moving into secondary school for girls so that we can have equal number of girls and boys to support through university. And I see that you're sending emergency support packages right now that cover things like transportation, soap, and groceries. So it's very specific. Yeah, well, these... Um, just to give an example, I went to visit in December one of our scholars um, who's at university and I went to visit her family and at her house. And one of the reasons I went to visit her is because one of the other students said that he thought she was um, very ill and she wasn't, uh, she didn't look well. And it turns out that she had been um, sending some of her own um, stipend to her family to support them because she came from a child-led family. Her parents had were gone and there were six children and there are six children in the family and they're all supported by one of the children one of the children who picks tea i mean she's uh, a 19 year old the oldest and she's supporting her whole family all her brothers and sisters and they live in a house with no running water and no electricity so this is real marginalized community that they don't have any fat to cut or any flesh to cut to you know any cloth to cut, whatever the bloody analogy is, to get through hard times. So we have to be with there with them the whole way. And this is why the world is going to get better. It's because I'm going to tell those stories and people are going to just hear those stories and they're going to think, God, I'm never going to pick up an industrial tea bag again. I'm not going to buy something where I don't know what the impact is. Hopefully. With hope and love, we'll change the world for the better. I agree. I have um, 16 pounds to spend till I get free shipping. Uh, from rareteacompany.com. The Malawi Whoa. antlers white tea is already in my cart. Let's let's do some live shopping to support. Okay, will you businesses. get the moto? The moto as well, the Malawi moto. So that is a black tea. Imagine um, you're Alexander K and you've got this beautiful farm in, in Malawi and right next to this great productive tea field, there's guava forest and they need that guava as food. But the guava leaves fall and then bugs get into the leaves and they start eating the leaves and then they start getting into the tea. But you're an organic farmer, so you can't spray the tea with any pesticide. So they've got to go in and pick up all the guava leaf 
to get rid of the bugs and then they burn the guava leaf. And so that somebody had the brilliant idea with this beautiful scented guava leaf to actually use it to be a boon rather than a problem and scent and smoke the tea with the guava leaf. And it tastes amazing, amazing. So it's not like a Lapsang Souchong, which is smoked with wood. It's smoked with a leaf. So it's much lighter, much softer, much more nuanced, super like smoky water rather than like tarry as we call a lapsang from the oils. Sorry, my phone keeps beeping. I don't, I don't hear the beeping. I only oh, hear the, the beautiful poetic descriptions of tea, which I've just bought. All right, so you've got your Malawi moto, your Malawi antlers, and then I would buy the... Um, can you buy lemon verbena? I can. I love lemon verbena. It's a real... It's really interesting. It's really quite savory, this lemon verbena. Very vibrant. When you put it into the water, you'll notice it sort of rehydrates immediately and looks like fresh leaf. And it will get, you'll get so many infusions out of it. Um, I, with the antlers, I've got seven infusions out of them. Well, up to 11, really. Um, with the moto, I would say two or three infusions out of every pot. And with the lemon verbena, probably about six or seven. So you bring so, it up to a boil again and again and again, and it lasts for 11 infusions. Yeah, so I would actually um, put, so with the lemon verbena, I put boiling water on it. And then when I, when it's infused to how I like it, you know, after a minute or two, then I would pour the water off and then put fresh water on rather than leaving it steeping. Mm -hmm. So that way, and the same thing with the tea, the really crucial thing to get many infusions out of your tea is to pour all the water off down to what the Chinese call the last golden drop. Because then you stop the infusion, the, um, like the cooking process, so that it won't over, over steep. Like, you know, um, uh, steak in the frying pan, when it's just right, you take it out, otherwise it will go from medium rare to leather. And over steep tea will, will get really bitter. So you get it just the way you like it, then pour all the water off, and then you go back and put fresh water on and fresh water on over again, and you'll get these beautiful new expressions of the leaf. I'm very excited. I'm glad we did this impromptu shopping. I've, I've never done anything quite like that on, on a show, but I believe in supporting these businesses and damn it, I, I, want, I want the tea. It sounds delicious. Henrietta, oh, you, the show's called Takeaway Only. What is your big takeaway from everything that's been happening? There's so much beauty, kindness, and wonderful support and love in the world. We've seen it in the hospitality industry. We've seen it in all sorts of places. Look away. Don't hold on to the ugly stuff. For there's always going to be ugly stuff. And don't get downhearted because as soon as we get downhearted, we might give up hope. And if we give up hope, we don't have change. And if we don't have change, then the world doesn't get better. So keep your chin up and, and look and love all the beautiful things. Do you think all your travel to everywhere you go has informed your, your big picture vision? Yeah, I feel so lucky. I feel so privileged. One, to know some of these communities, but also, you know, to look at the infrastructures that we have, the support networks we have that are just not available to so many people. And I think I'm never allowed to feel, I never allow myself to feel too um, it's hard done by when I realize how rich and lucky and, you know, even in the worst communities in our society, are so much better than um, you would find in in some of the developing nations that aren't even developing in some places, you know, life expectancy and standard living is decreasing in some places in the world. Henrietta, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for bringing delicious teas to the world, but not only that amazing stories and compassion and empathy. 
Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much for your help and support and love. Thank you. That was Henrietta Lovell. You can follow her on Instagram at Rare Tea Lady. And you can shop for great tea at www.rareteacompany.com. Coming up Monday, Marcus Samuelson. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepoles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back Monday. This is Takeaway Only.